Okay, I know you didn't plan for your life to look like this. Neither did I. And I know it feels like you've lost so much. But I keep hearing God whisper, I am right here. And there is more. I'm Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Let's talk about loneliness for a second. It's something that all single moms have to deal with, but one of the reasons it's so frustrating is that it is not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. Your experience with loneliness is going to be totally different than mine, and oddly enough, being in a relationship usually doesn't fix it. To learn more about the roots of your own experience with loneliness and what those roots are telling you that you really need, take our What's Your Loneliness Type quiz over at plusoneparents.org. I had a conversation with a woman recently who gave me permission to retell her story about how quickly her ex-husband moved on after their separation and divorce. She mentioned that within a few weeks of the split just even becoming official, that there were already some strange things that were happening. She had completely blocked him from social media. She was really trying to do what she could to move on. But her friends started sending her screenshots of these elaborate vacations that he was taking with the woman that he had left her for. And so in these photos, they're going to all of these exotic locales and even ended up at a resort destination amusement park. The strange thing about this was that he did not choose to take his kids, but he did choose to send them photos, to text them photos of all of the fun that he was having. It was so strange because it was like Disneyland dad, but forgot to take the kids. As their divorce continued on, as they moved through the settlement process, it turned out that he actually didn't want any of his old stuff. He didn't even want the clothes. He didn't want really anything that he had left in the house. And so as it came to the settlement, she received everything, but he ended up going out and just buying brand new. He ended up with a new house, with new furniture, new car, even a new pet. And in the midst of this, this woman was just so confused. Here she was, not only having to deal with the physical stuff, but then all of the stuff that came with that. You know, she's looking at this person that she had loved move on so quickly into a completely brand new life. And she saw just how troubling this was for her kids. They all struggled in different ways to deal with it. But she knew it had to do with the fact that he had just exited one life and seemed to step into another one. It was just so heartbreaking for her. She felt absolutely rejected and just discarded, you know? And I can't say that I blame her. Maybe you felt the same way. You know, regardless of how your relationship ended, when somebody goes out and starts a brand new life without you, you'd absolutely feel rejected and discarded and replaced. But when it looks like that they're not only just moving on, but that they're moving into this whole brand new life that just looks so great, and you are sitting there left with the pieces of what's left, it can be just so heartbreaking. And we can look at God and say, what is going on? You know, is there anything going to be left for me? 
you know, and there's a variety of different scenarios that go into this experience. And I can't attempt to cover them all, but a lot of times we fall into a couple of different categories if this is our experience. You know, on the one side, we might be looking at their life, this maybe new woman who's in your ex's life, and think, well, what could I have done that that could have been my life? You know, was this really where we were headed and now I'm missing out? You know, we might start to think that we have some inadequacies that if we would have just dealt with them when we had the chance that maybe it would be us in that situation with, with him, that maybe we would be her. Or you could be on the other side of this. You could be absolutely thinking, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about her and I don't care about this new life. But this is not fair. This is not fair to my kids. This is not fair to me. And, you know, I'm sitting here day after day. I'm exhausted. I'm showing up. I'm doing what I need to do. But where perhaps he's living this great life, I'm sitting here doing the daily. You know, I'm doing the dishes and I'm doing my bills and I'm struggling to make ends meet and all of the things that go along with that. And so there is this total mismatch between the life that they're living and the life that you're living. And sometimes we can go into a zone of like, hey, but I'm doing all the right things. How come that's not the life that I'm living? You know, where where is mine? You know, is God forgetting about me, perhaps? But no matter where you fall in all of this, what's the worst, absolutely the worst, is how it affects our kids. You know, because our kids are not fully able to process what's going on. You know, their brains are still developing, and so there's pieces of things that they're just not even fully able to, to rationalize or to have, have a clear thought around what is going on. On top of this, though, there is also just the fact that they don't even have all the pieces. You know, there are pieces of the story, number one, that's not even appropriate for them, like things that we would not tell them. But then sometimes there are things that are being presented to them that shouldn't be. You know, pieces of the story, perhaps, that that their father or someone else is putting into their minds. It's really confusing the whole thing. And so for us, that's disorienting. That's a, a space that sometimes we want to, like, step into and correct what is going on, or we want to be able to stand up for ourselves or speak our peace and say our side. We don't want our kids to be confused, but we don't want them to be deceived. And so it's just this really difficult space where our kids are settling, you know, and it's difficult because they process that and react to that in all sorts of different ways. You know, you're going to have some kids who are really enticed by these things and they're really excited about these things and their dad's new life and they want to be a part of that. You know, there are going to be things perhaps though where they are throwing massive tantrums, you know, where they're angry, where they're blaming you for things that it seems like, well, maybe you should be looking at the other parent, <laughs> you know? And so there's just all sort of different ways that our kids are going to express what they are experiencing, but they're not always able to articulate with their words and say with their mouth what's going on. And a lot of times they don't even know. And basically what it all boils down to is whether it's in words or whether it's just in actions, there is sometimes this narrative that's starting to be painted that dad's life is bigger and better now. And mom's life is everyday and average and boring. And for us, that can put us in a space where we feel like we can't compete. Maybe you feel like you don't want to compete, you know, but the point is you don't also want to be embroiled in this battle of mom versus dad, you know, of bigger versus smaller or of exciting versus average and everyday, you know, and those types of things. And in the midst of this, though, 
It's not uncommon, again, for you to feel discarded, for you to see that your children have been discarded, and for you to wonder, what about me? When this happens, it's really easy for us to just get caught there. You know, it's easy for us to feel defeated. It's easy for us to just see what's on the surface and think, you know what, that's all that anybody's going to see. That's all that my kids see. Maybe that's even all that I see right now. You know, why did they get this new life and I don't? But we have to know that things are not always as they appear. And there's always something more going on below the surface. Many women reach out to me about this very same experience. Every single one of them that I have spoken to has been trying to navigate their way out of an abusive marriage or an abusive relationship. And so what we're going to be talking about is not a situation where someone grows and changes and eventually moves into a new life and, and the struggle that comes with watching somebody else move on. That's a real experience. But where I'm coming from with this is a person who immediately changes their life or immediately gets a new life after the breakup of a relationship. That is something that in the world of abuse recovery, we know that experience as discard. So that's where I'm going to be talking from today. And where I love to go to in scripture related to this very experience is Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is about this very scenario where someone who is doing the wrong thing seems like they are just benefiting, seems like everything is going their way, and for the person who's doing the right thing that nothing is seeming to work out. Psalm 37 starts out by saying, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Like grass, they will soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. The scripture is saying don't envy those who do wrong because there are wrong ways to have profit and gain in this life. You know, if you think about all of the leaders or the CEOs or the politicians that you know in the world, there are those who got there because they worked hard and they earned it. And there are those who got there because they lied and cheated and stole their way to the top. And while these two things look equal on the outside, they're not. You know, one comes with and from God's favor, whereas the other comes with all sorts of consequences, you know, and we have to recognize that God is not the only one out there who is giving things to people. You know, Satan is ensnaring people. He's tricking them into seeking after what looks good on the surface, but that ultimately is a snare and will entrap them. This verse is saying where this person may look like they have made it, you know, that ultimately if it's been gotten by evil means, they're not going to be able to keep it. So don't waste your time envying it or being concerned about what they have. And as I mentioned before, this is a psychological phenomenon known as discard. This is an experience where if this person is an abuser, they want to spin a new narrative that where there was a failure, quote unquote, of a marriage falling apart or of a relationship falling apart, they want to create a new narrative that makes it look to other people and to you and maybe to your kids that you were the problem. So if they are able to leave the old life and get a really flashy brand new life and you're the one who's still living the old way, they have the ability to spin the narrative that this was really where you were they were headed in life, but you were the one who was standing in the way. And that now they have this bigger, better life because you're not in it. 
They want other people to believe that them leaving you or you leaving them was the best thing that ever happened to them. And when we look at the life that they're presenting on the outside, we're falling for it. You know, they want that experience of being able to emotionally manipulate you, that you feel jealous or that you feel rejected, you know, and that's going to come across in the way you communicate with them. It's going to come across if you start to say, hey, I wish you paid as much attention to your kids as you do to X, Y, or Z. You know, they like that. They want to see you getting stirred up by this new life and this new narrative. And so the best thing that you can do in that situation is to recognize the game that they're running and not play a part. So this verse is really saying to us, hey, I know you're going to see that they're prospering. Don't worry about it. All that glitters ain't gold. And that glitter is going to rub off someday. And that's why verse 16 of Psalm 37 goes on to say, it is better to be godly and to have a little than to be evil and to be rich. And I know a lot of us might say, well, couldn't I be godly and rich? (laughs) But the point is, you don't want to be evil and rich. You want to be able to, if you're godly, to be content with what you have, knowing you can put your head on your pillow every night, knowing that you are living closely with the Lord, that you're living in the way that honors Him, and that you never have to worry about this whole, you know, house of cards coming apart one day, you know, where the con is eventually going to be found out, that you're going to be able to have peace and contentment in your life because you have what really matters. But all of this aside, one of the reasons we're focusing so hard on this other person is sometimes we really wish that we could have what they have now. You know, we wish that was us. And so we're wondering, hey, like, Lord, I have all these really big needs. Could you could you do something for me? You know, could you could you bring me maybe a little bit of what they have? You know, and when you have these really big needs, there's a lot of legitimate concern that comes with that. There's a lot of anxiety and worry about how these things are going to get met and, and if there's enough and and just what, what we have and, and is it going to stretch far enough and all of that. But the point is, when we're looking at our lack, we're missing the limitlessness of God. We're, we're missing the fact that He's not a God of limited resources, that He is an abundant and generous God. And the fact of the matter is that someone else's win, even if it's a legitimate win, because sometimes we compare ourselves with other people who are just also doing better than we are. You know, there may be great people who are doing better than we are. And so we perceive that a win for somebody else is a loss for me, or that that's not going to be enough for me. And that is not the case. A win for somebody else is not also a loss for you. Verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 37 say, Once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. It says that the children of the godly are a blessing. In this psalm, David tells us that he is old. He's telling us that he was young at one point and now he's old, but that he's seen a whole lot. And even one source suggests that this perhaps could even be something like David's last words, you know, one of his later psalms. And so I imagine, you know, sort of this grandfather David, you know, Grandpa David, who is wanting to pass on some wisdom, you know, some time-tested wisdom that he is like this, this war veteran, like my grandfather, you know, who was wanting to share with the next generation what he's seen. And what he's telling us is, hey, I've learned some things along the way, and I know that you're going to see some situations where it looks like someone is getting what you feel like they don't even deserve or that they're getting what you deserve. 
You're going to see someone who's doing the wrong thing seeming to win and you're going to feel like you're losing and you're not being treated very well. But I want you to know this is not how the game ends. So don't get sucked in here. Keep moving. Keep doing the right things. Keep focusing on where God has you. Keep working on your relationship with the Lord. Keep trusting Him to take care of you. Because at the end of all that I have seen, I've never seen, David says, I've never seen a righteous person forsaken. I've never seen their children not have what they need. And as a matter of fact, I've seen their children become a blessing to the next generation. And I know that really, though we have all these concerns on the surface, I know that deep down in our hearts, that is the kind of thing that matters the most to us. That is what matters is to see our kids thriving and to know that even when we're not here anymore, that they're going to have a legacy that they're going to be able to pass on to the next generation. What's more in this is that Psalm 23 tells us that God sets a table for us in front of our enemies, in the midst of our enemies. You know, and a lot of times when we think about justice, we think about, well, how is this wrong thing going to be made right? How is this person going to be dealt with? But biblical justice is not only about lowering someone who has elevated themselves. It is also about elevating someone who has been lowered. So knowing that that's the case, knowing that God is preparing a table for you too, we don't need to stress about what is going on with this other person. We can just trust that God is also doing things for us too. And we might not be able to see it right now. It might be slower in coming, but He is doing things for us too. And it might just all unfold in front of the people who are hurting us. You know, and the hard thing about living this out is the fact that it is a long game strategy. You know, this is not something that gets wrapped up quickly. It means a lot of times too that things are going to be unfair. You're going to see some things unfolding in front of you that you wished were not happening. You might be treated badly. You might be slandered in the process. And you might really want to speak up and either defend yourself or set the record straight. But here's the thing. When we can know that, hey, I'm not being left out. God is doing things for me too. We have the ability to not only walk free of all of what's going on there, but we allow our kids the freedom to enjoy any benefit that might come from this scenario. Because the fact of the matter is, there may be some benefit to them in this, and it might be uncomfortable to allow them to enjoy that. Now, of course, we should always keep safety in mind. But if there are benefits, you know, for example, if there is a new step parent that really does love your kids, that where we can allow our kids to enjoy those things without us commenting or without us having to have a say or an input, it really can be a gift for them. So we have the ability on both sides of this to know that, you know what, things are not always what they appear, but there is always more going on behind the scenes. Now, I do want to encourage you because I know when I say long game strategy, that is like, oh my gosh, how long is this thing going to play out for? But just because I said that this is a longer term way of looking at things does not mean you can't have benefits immediately right now in your life today. Have you ever looked around at your life and thought, is this really all there is? Plus One Parents is releasing a new paperback Bible study called Made for More, Life Beyond Hurt, Loss, and Heartbreak. Made for More is your personal guide through six biblical stories that address where is God in rejection, betrayal, loss, and abuse? Does God care about your fear and sadness and anxiety and frustration? And what can God do? to take back every last piece of your story, even the mistakes. 
Made for More releases April 21st, 2023. What you see around you right now is not all that there is. You were made for more. So as we talk about one action step that we might take in moving in this direction and living this out, it's really something that just involves a shift of our focus. So instead of focusing on this other person and what they have that you don't, you can focus instead on what you have that they don't. Now, I want to be clear here. I am not saying that to mean like to get wrapped up in this whole materialistic comparison game. When I say that, I mean that God has put pure gold inside of you. You are so precious to him. And he has made you so uniquely. He has wired you in a way that is irreplaceable. It can't be fabricated. It can't be manufactured. It can't be imitated. It is something that is so uniquely you. These are very special attributes and characteristics that you carry that can never be replaced by someone else. And the fact of the matter is just because someone else could not value those things or could not recognize those things does not mean that those things are not there. And the fact of the matter is God puts the people in our lives, the people around us and even our own children in our lives that we get to bless them with those things. And focusing on what you bring to the table, on what you bring to your relationships is so powerful because it is something that you can do something about. You have the ability to decide how much you want to engage in your relationships and share with the people around you what you have and what you carry. You know, when we spend a lot of time focusing on someone else and who they are, what they have, it's very disempowering because those are things that we can't control. We can't do anything about. So if we stay on our side of the equation, then we just naturally start to become more creative. We start to think about the ways that we are different than maybe even our friends, different even than other moms that we know, and how that impacts the way that we nurture our own kids. You know, and these are the things that really build our legacy. You know, as we go back to Grandpa David (laughs) and what he was saying, you know, when I think about the connections I had with my parents and grandparents, you know, yes, there were things that were memorable and fun, but there were also everyday things. There were things that were small and average that created this connectivity that can't be replaced. You know, with my dad, a lot of times it was these talks that we would have just on these, you know, outdoor adventures and bike rides, you know, or with my grandmother, she would have me peel potatoes, you know, but we were, she, she was sharing stories with me about how she'd done the same things when she was younger and what life was like for her back then. You know, or I even just think about the everyday average things of my mom being in the kitchen in the mornings and handing me a Flintstone vitamin. You know, it's just those very everyday things that built up to this entire experience of what life in my household was like. You know, and that's where the power is for us. That's what we get to decide. Even if you didn't have those experiences, you get to decide what life in your household, what your everyday life looks like with your kids. And sometimes that doesn't mean you're going to have great big like dinnertime devotionals and all that kind of thing. You know, sometimes it's just you maybe even clumsily working through your faith in front of your kids in a way that you open the door for them to see that. You know, in my kitchen, I have a a little whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, yeah, there's things like I need to get this at the grocery store and we're having Taco Tuesday and all that kind of stuff. But 
there's that's also my space where I write down like a Bible verse that I really need to memorize and cling to on any given day. You know, it's even where I draw out little diagrams of like things that I think God is teaching me and how it connects with things that he's taught me in the past. It's not for my kids. I don't even really talk to them about it, but it's how I am actively working out my faith in a way that is visible to me because I'm a very visual person and I need to see that stuff. Uh, but it's also something that my kids have an example of something that they might copy in their own lives. And that's really what we're after, you know, where we would maybe not want our kids to have certain influences, where we would want to take their eyes off of one thing. The best thing that we can do is really focus on putting their eyes on something else, you know, on giving them another option to look at. And we have every ability to do that. I mentioned a few weeks ago that in our new study made for more that's coming out, that Eunice was raising Timothy in a situation where he didn't have a godly role model. And what I didn't mention in that, though, was the fact that not only did he not have a godly role model, but he actually had an ungodly role model. And there were influences that Eunice would not have wanted her son to follow. And in the midst of this, though, there are different ways that we're all uniquely wired to use what we have to guide our kids in a different direction. And ultimately, it's up to them to choose. But God promises that he's going to use what we put out there and what we attempt in the best that we can, in the best effort that we can, and that he can do many great things with it. Now, if that is a, a weak area for you, if you feel like, er, I don't know even where to start with that, Made For More actually does have some activities that you can do with your kids in all these different areas. But it's just something that when you start focusing your mind on what can I do, what do I have to bring to this, what do I have that can't be replaced, it really is something where you'll begin to see, especially even as you pray into that, God making it clear to you what to do next. So I know that there are going to be things that our kids are going to be drawn towards that are big and flashy, and we might really feel like we're coming up short. But it really is in these little things where God does big work. And it's because there's always more behind the scenes. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. For more resources for single moms and abuse survivors, join us at plusoneparents.org. You can also catch us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. Until next time, remember, you are seen and you are beloved.